0: Hi everybody. Oh, is that, uh, okay, let's try it again. Hi everybody, Mark D here, and I'm Lawrence, Lawrence of Arabia. I'm an English guy, I came to fight the Turkish. That intro was sent in by New Bomb Turk, and today I'm going to be talking about a movie that is actually shockingly bad and juvenile. But, but that being said, uh, it, it somehow managed to sneak in some cool cars, some social commentary, you know, and mainly through the use of irony, and most importantly, really cool cars, uh, into what, what is ultimately a shambling, reanimated Frankenstein's monster composed mostly of Animal House and American Graffiti. That movie is...
1: Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen. Can I have your attention, please? I'm the advertising man for a very funny new movie called The Hollywood Nights. Now, now, wait a minute. We got a problem with the coming attractions. Hey, come on, will you give me a break? I'm on your side. The problem is they won't let me show you any of the good stuff. And believe me, it's really good. Like they won't let me show you what this Hollywood night peeping Tom with a Polaroid's taking pictures of. And I definitely can't show you what the cheerleader in the middle forgot to wear, but believe me, it raised more than a few eyebrows this Hollywood night just did something really humiliating. You are so immature. I am not immature. Can I show you what it was? No way. You'll just have to guess why the heavyweight in the horn rims is having an attack, or why the cop is in the can and not on his beat. Get back, Bimbo. Or what's really being barbecued in the burning bag, or what the Hollywood nights put in the punch to give it such a special tang. I've had this taste in my mouth before. No, they won't let me show you any of the really good stuff. But I can tell you that the movie shows everything. Look, we're all in our underwear. Hollywood Nights is hysterically funny. Take it from me. Would I lie to you? It's a masterpiece. It's wild, it's sexy, it's outrageous, it's revolting. (laughs) And so are the Hollywood Nights. But they're not just a movie. They're about as nice a bunch of guys you'd ever want to know. Good, clean American kids fighting for truth, justice, and anything they can get away with. I'll kill you! I'll kill all of you! Parents' groups are trying to stop them. The cops are trying to annihilate them. And only you can help. Force your way into the theaters, save the Hollywood nights. They do the same for you. They knocked my pants off. The Hollywood
0: And for for whatever reason, if you think that I sound different today, I do. I'm just using a different microphone and and things, you know, as as one does. Uh, When you are bored and uh, everything in life seems to be on pause. As we know in um, 2022, also eh, a little bit of World War III. Anyway, by the numbers, The Hollywood Nights was released... May 30th 1980 on an estimated 4 million dollar budget. Gross was 10 million and it was gross on its its runtime of 1 hour and 31 minutes. It was also known as Los Caballeros de Hollywood and that would imply that it had a Spanish language release. That um that's both disappointing to me but also completely not surprising. In in the shortest like in in, in any any measure, I am not surprised, and I, I realize that I'm getting snobby on a 1980 gross-out rated R teen movie. But 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 I'm old now, right? I, I'm I'm the get off my lawn, and I had very fond memories of this movie, but perhaps it was it was more related to the particular circumstances under which I first saw it it somehow has a 6.3 on imdb whose whose ratings completely make no fucking sense at this point and it sits at a 14% on the tomato meter uh, but however however importantly a 71% on the audience score on rotten tomatoes people often do like garbage and i i am people i am one of them the people is me i i have i have already liked Garbage, and I already liked this particular garbage. But for the purposes of this podcast, uh, I have reevaluated and, and recontextualized it a little bit. I was in the camp of of people who who really liked this movie, and now I'm in the camp of people who um, maybe partially like this movie. To give you an idea, it's um, Halloween, 1965, and we find ourselves at the last night of Tubby's Drive-In in Los Angeles's upscale Beverly Hills. That's where I want to be. I don't know how the song goes. The property on, on, on which Tubby sits and Tubby's itself as an institution is an annoyance and an eyesore to the rich people in the neighborhood. And they have banded together to purchase the land and, uh, they will be, uh, demolishing the drive-in and replacing it with a very bland office park. This is basically kind of the, the 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 thrust and the extent of the class commentary in the movie. Uh, Drive In is cool, Office Park is bad, and uh, aside from that, the rich people are portrayed as dumb, but every bit is horny, right? As their quote lower class teenage counterparts, I say quote lower class because back then you could have a hot rod, you know, you could, you could hot rod, you could soup up a car and. You know, chop and channel it on, on a part time job as a student, and that doesn't exist anymore. So it's um, it's also a weird uh, time capsule. It's also a relic, uh, some artifact of of a time gone by. That's the setup, and the rest of the movie is pretty much the um, the stupid and futile gesture part of Animal House, just spread over many characters and a bunch of vignettes. I'd call it a, a series of disjointed vignettes, which are tantamount to someone walking into a writer's room, looking at uh, the board with all the ideas, and, uh, and then just saying, we'll take the lot. Give me one of everything. Very precious little story editing was done on this script, and it fully shows. But this was also mostly acceptable for this type of movie at the time, as our audience score shows us. And you can think about Porky's and you know, even later ones, like Revenge of the Nerds or whatever, like, those movies, they, they kind of suck uh, in terms of uh, story, movie, structure, pacing, assembly, editing, that kind of thing. New Bomb Turk is our protagonist, and Robert Wool portrays that character. And Turk is quite the improbably puckish scamp. You know, like, the, the troublemaker, the 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 prankster... The uh, serial stalker type of sex offender, but, but, but he's lovable. He's lovable. It's fine. It's fine. It's new bomb. It's new bomb. What are you going to do? You know, uh, the lovable stalker, you know, those, those rapscallions, those lovable uh, stalkers. And, and if it isn't clear, I'm, I'm being sarcastic, but he is an actual and legitimate uh, sex pest. And I like, I like Robert Wool. I mean, I, I think he's a funny guy and, and I'm not on the list forums or anything. But he's he's twenty nine when he's making his screen debut in this movie, and he looks like thirty five. <laughs> and there's more than a few of, of these actors that were just like, Egg. um, you know, the movie just in so many ways is is not good in in just many ways. I, I don't want to count the ways. Uh, they are not like a summer's day. Just just take my word for it. Fran Drescher. You know, Tony Danza and Michelle Pfeiffer are also in this movie, of, of all people. And it is wild. They're all 30, whatever, close to 30, basically 30. They're all playing 17, 18. Uh, there's boobs. It's some definitely some gross-out humor. Uh, Tony Danza's character's name is Duke. Michelle Pfeiffer's character's name is Susie Q. New Bomb Turk is an actual character in this movie. But then there's some some of the things that work, and, and one of my favorites is the the runner that is the lyrics to the Lawrence of Arabia theme. I, I, I fucking really, really super-duper like that joke. Uh, there are also some seriously cool cars, like Project X from Hot Rod magazine is prominently featured as Tony Danza's character's car, a yellow hoodless Supercharged 57 Bel Air. Count me in. And, and there's legitimate pedigree here. Uh, Tony Nancy, the guy wearing the Tony Nancy shirt in the movie who defends the selection of the color of the yellow hot rod gifted to Jimmy just before going to Vietnam by saying, it's Tony Nancy yellow, is the guy who co- who, who, who created Tony Nancy yellow and is a legend in hot rodding himself. I can't help but think that this movie was was partially inspired by antics that uh, he and his cohort may have gotten up to in their early years. I mean, after all, he had gone to Hollywood high school and, and was a, a street racer himself. And the, the time that I just spent talking about Vietnam just now, that's about the same amount of time that the movie spends on it. And, and it's framed as Jimmy uh, not knowing shit about shit and, and also looking like 38 as hell and he, and trying to be optimistic about and idealistic about what we as a you know a conflict that we as a 1980 or or later audience will will know factually to be an absolute shit show there's a banging soundtrack on this movie though fucking banger after banger after banger it is a it's it's basically a jukebox filled with just all the oldies that don't get anymore because now even classic rock is, is Nirvana, Sun Temple Pilots, and Pearl Jam. So oldies are like, uh, I don't know, like fucking Bachman Turner Overdrive or some shit. Uh, Led Zeppelin, you know, uh, what we used to call classic rock, which still may be called classic rock, but then classic rock is aged up. It's a whole thing. But anyway, this movie is, um, the soundtrack is something to behold. And 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 seeing this, um, and I don't know if I'm using this word right, and I will not look it up. But this rarefaction of this period of music, this kind of transitional doo wop, surf, and all that, there's a, a rarity to it, and uh, it uh, it 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 feels like an even more interesting trophy of nostalgia to us uh, 2022 folks, and. Uh, The reason I'm talking about The Hollywood Nights now and and actually when I'm done talking about it, spoiler alert, is because I did not feel after watching it that this movie deserved its own episode as it it basically occupies the same space just out of phase. Like Think of it like a fucking Star Trek episode, but it's in the same space just on an alternating frequency where its matter flickers in when more American graffitis matter flickers out. They are, are the same exact movie, just uh, 180 degrees out of phase from each other. It's the craziest thing.
1: Hey, baby, remember at the end of American Graffiti, you wish there was more. Well, there is. It's more American Graffiti. <laughs> That's weird, you idiot! They're older and wiser and just as crazy. here. Uncle Sam says, I need the toad. Terry the toad's in Vietnam. Steve and Lori are happily married. Debbie's different. Pregnant. I'm in love. John Miller's the same. I'm John Milner, the owner-driver of this car here, and this is our team t-shirt. I'd be deeply honored if you wore it. She's a foreigner, John. It's my last shirt, too. One more word out of your commie mouth, kid. I'll ring your neck up. Hurry I... Turn around now! I voted Republican! I can't control it! Get away from the trees, kid! Get... More American graffiti. The bittersweet times. The crazy times. And all of it unforgettable. I made it. A housewife, a woman is a. Housewife. Ron Howard. a party tonight, and my mother loved being a housewife, and my mother loved being a mother, and I'm coming to pick you up right now, do you understand it? Cindy Williams. Two. Your wife is a cow, your mother's a hog. Charlie Martin Smith. Ah, ah. What's the matter? I broke my leg. Some guy's got all the luck. Paul the Match. The little twerp. Mackenzie Phillips. we me, John. I've grown a, a little, little bit. bit. Oh. Candy Clark. I think it was a fire hydrant. we don't to up. Uh, uh, Bo Hopkins. You sell them, we steal them. They're all back and more. With the new stars of the 80s telling the story of the 60s. More American graffiti. Hey, watch out. Deal Wolf Bang will be there too. E-e-e-e-e.
0: By the numbers, More American Graffiti was released August 3rd, 1979 on an estimated $3 million budget. With its uh, one hour and 50 minutes, it was recorded to have recouped $15 million from the box office in North America. It is, it is somehow, again, inexplicable sitting on a 5.3 on IMDb, which is a fucking huge red flag as well as a 20% on the tomato meter and then a 33% on the audience score. And that's pretty bad. I mean, it's not the worst, but it's bad, but it is like, like 10 times, like a better, like movie than the Hollywood nights. It's just also not great. And not even remotely as good as the original, you know, again, uh, more American graffiti has, a banging soundtrack, a bunch of hits on it. And there are some very fucking cool cars, like fact, but it lost touch with what audiences wanted and and got from its uh predecessor. The original was ambitious in its conceit of following the various stories across one night. But the sequel was was lost in in just getting old, getting faced with the They break it across four years as if it plays out if it was the same day, one day over four years. And that's like a really um, old person thing to think. Like if I think four years ago, I'm like, that shit feels like yesterday. When I was a teenager, four years was a lifetime. In this movie, we are just constantly with the characters getting faced with the, the reality of life. And its issues and its paths and its problems and its choices and all of that is kind of specifically not what audiences wanted, but, but, but it's what they got. Writer and director Bill Norton uh, uh, reportedly pushed back against Lucas's ambitions to, to make it a, a darker and more complicated movie while taking the audience across the four different uh, years. or or the different settings a year apart each. And, and to be clear, it's, it's New Year's Day, 1964, New Year's Day, 1965, New Year's Day, 1966, and New Year's Day, 1967. Do, 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 do. No, New Year's Eve. I'm sorry. Uh, do, 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 do. Anyway. Um, yeah. Uh, box office and critical reception of this, um, of this mechanism, this, this narrative, uh, Mechanism, this narrative structure, uh, this conceit, if you will. Yeah, it was not well received at all. and um, Norton, Norton was was correct. I didn't have an issue with that in principle, right? If you want to do a movie over various time periods or whatever, go for it. I love it. I love to unravel that. I love to understand it. I love to feel smart. I love to have that model of, of the events working in my brain. But what, what it does lead to and, and where it does have problems is filler. Uh, Candy Clark's character, Debbie, uh, who is in the middle. And by the way, uh, if you want to go back to the first American Graffiti episode, you'll get the rundown on all the characters. Most of these are returning, if not all, that I will mention. I don't know yet, but it'll, it'll sort you out. Kenny Clark's character, Debbie, who is in the middle of this kind of like hippie music, free love revolution, uh, type shtick is, is really on a journey of, uh, discovering self-respect. And I, I, I guess she finds it, but she finds it with another guy in, in, in a band and, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's very clear that her, her starting places is, is not great. Her actual starting boyfriend is, is a huge piece of shit. Um, but the entire plot line never hits. It actually stalls out for a while where, uh, kind of nothing happens. And then, then a lot of, uh, and I'm going to be very blunt here. A lot of dumb things happen. And Carol is there Mackenzie Phillips's character, Carol, and, and she does nothing at all. I don't know if it was scheduling conflicts or money issues or what, but she kind of does nothing. And I'm, I'm not looking into this further. I, I cannot express to you how little I care about the nuance of this specific film, which is, I think, an interesting contrast to how much I do care about all the nuance and all the context of its uh, predecessor. The Stephen and Laurie stuff, um, Specifically the Steve and Laurie stuff between just Steve and just Laurie. It matters, right? It is um it's kinda heavy. It's real. I've had those days with my family. I get it. But I'm also not a cool teen doing awesome shit. Like I'm 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 boring as hell. Nobody wants to see that life, unfortunately. Like it um if they wanted to make it an art house depiction of domestic life, then yeah, sure. Make that art house picture, bring it and, 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 and bring the whole thing to this weird, like, uh, and I'm, I'm going to use the word navel gazing, but not in a bad way, if that makes sense. Cause I, I like it, but, um, really explode and explore and deconstruct and then reconstruct all of that versus, uh, what it was. And, um, you know, Debbie segments had these kind of like the the post production, like the weird, like late sixties, uh, early seventies, kind of like boxes that they would do the split uh, frames where there was like concurrent actions, and and it felt different. Like it felt different for that. Like that was cool. Like Stephen Laurie didn't feel different at all in in terms of how it looked or how it felt. Uh, you know, one could say that uh, Caleb Deschanel, the uh, cinematographer on this film. He could have just filmed it more like a sitcom, maybe, or or like a soap opera, but it just, it felt like more movie. Terry Fields gets his tour in Vietnam, and and his vignettes, or, or most of them, not all, but a good amount of them, look like they're filmed in parts, you know, they look like they're filmed with exactly what footage from Vietnam would have been filmed with, and... I think I listened or or read an interview with Caleb Deschanel and I believe that's exactly what they did. You know, it's unfortunate that it it th- that is good and it pushes the documentary feel of his segments much further than any of the others and again, in the first episode of American Graffiti it was meant to be kind of documentarian. So, fine. But uh it's unfortunate that the the movie maybe as a whole, but also kind of thematically in certain um, of these these storylines, specifically Terry and and Lori and Steve, um, it boils very down to to war is bad and the army is stupid and selfish, and it is reductionist and it is also very heavy handed. Not that I I like war, I I really don't, but in a post vietnam america we've really fallen into a trope and it doesn't even mean that it's not true like all of this could be 100% factual but it doesn't change like how exhausted i am from seeing it just because we've seen it so many times so you know i'm just i'm putting it out there i'm just saying the the war stuff is heavy-handed the the movie is is heavy-handed a lot I don't even count the amount of times that Milner's death was, was cryptically referred to or foreshadowed. Paul Lamont's John Milner uh, spends his new year's day in 1964 at the drag strip racing for the respect of a real professional racing team and its corporate sponsors. But he also has like a, like a very pretty Icelandic woman in tow and it's incredibly contrived. And it's kind of like the Carol uh, storyline from, from part one. It's like, fanservice but bad but it it allows us to see his his kind of arc he's uh he's milner the chivalrous knight and then the turn to milner the the base cur, and then back to milner the triumphant who has won back our respect and the respect of his peers and his non-english speaking beauty all in all it's a pretty kind of standard arc however And this is going to apply to me, I think, personally seeing him right at the end, right at the end of the movie, right back in his incredibly famous 32 Ford and just looking cool as hell that got me like I had forgotten already what was coming. And then as he's driving down that road, I I know what's coming. I've seen the movie before, but I forgot because I was just like into 95 stories with a hundred people, not, not exactly. I was into four stories with several people. So I forgot. And he made it through the whole day. You think he's just going to go home. And then remembering he died on, on New Year's and then knowing that that's it, this is the last chance for him to die on New Year's. And then and then seeing his car not come back up over the uh, undulating hills. Yeah, that got me. That got me again. And it's really powerful. And I think that it might be possible to to write a doctoral thesis on the character of John Milner as a whole, honestly. Because there's, there's maybe more than a little bit there, but uh, so much to infer, right? So much to extrapolate. But that's the high point of the movie for me. The fucking very, very, very end. And it takes almost two hours to get you there. And and you really need to wait to have it pay off. Again, the other high point is the soundtrack. But for however good it is, it's also just a lot. I feel like it's like 140 songs. Like for as many scenes, they have a new song. And I'm not exaggerating there. I think that that might, may actually be accurate or true. I'm not going to investigate it. Again, I don't like it that much, but that feels relatively reasonably factual. There is a constant, constant bed of music that's just kind of floating non-diegetically in your ears, like like this podcast might be, even, when you're driving to work or... Or at the supermarket or, or mowing the lawn. It has maybe it has a little more purpose than that. The the soundtrack versus the podcast, the soundtrack being more purposeful. And it's often incredibly on the nose. Um, but ultimately the the takeaway vibe is, is that. It's just background. And the the movie isn't as awful as someone might make it out to be, and, and I'm I'm being pretty hard on it or I'm sorry I'm not I'm not being hard on it I'm just I'm not not being critical of it, it there's a lot to be critical of um but more in volume than variety a, a lot of it I think could have been saved if there wasn't such dedication to the four kind of concepts or frames or or you know the four storylines because with with Debbie we get uh you know somebody who who really has uh, put themselves in a position where they don't necessarily have the confidence or the self-respect. And and then we have to be pitying them for so long, for so much of the movie. And uh, then we get like a lot of Lori and her brother uh, almost getting beat to shit by cops at a college protest. And the the movie had pro- point and, and message. The protest scenes were uh, capital I important. But I mean at the end of the day, it was just like it's too much sometimes. It spends an hour and, and fifteen minutes to, to try to get to try to get the, the two, I guess, major female characters, which are, are Debbie and Lori, to earn their, their title cards at the end, which that was a, a big controversy because Debbie and Debbie and Laurie, more specifically Lori, was was a very main character in American Graffiti won, and, and Debbie was too. And last minute edit here, but uh, to be very clear, I don't think they needed to earn those title cards. I use that word, I guess, mistakenly, but what I, what I really meant was, um, and, and you'll hear this in the first one or two American Graffiti episodes, I don't remember exactly where I talk about it, it's, it's a combined like two hours and something. Those are in season one of this podcast, but um, what I meant was the conceit of American Graffiti One was was mainly uh, George Lucas's idea, and he's he's definitely seeing it from his point of view, which I think is fine and and fair. It's not a, a huge representation. Of of all of society, it's not that it's a very personal experience, and he is the combination of uh, of Kurt and of of John Milner in in most respects, right? Based on his his life, you can make that rough assumption. But in this movie, they 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 did make it a point to make things about these wonderful female characters that they had. so so Debbie has her own kind of 1966 segment and that's basically a quarter of the movie and the 1967 segment with Steve and Laurie is it's kind of mostly about Laurie Steve uh, kind of sucks and he's window dressing he's the foil to cause the problem And her younger brother, Andy, is there because Kurt uh, is is fucked off to Canada, but also Richard Dreyfuss probably just didn't want to make this fucking movie. So, you know, I feel like they have been pushed to, without a doubt, deserve it. However, there was no doubt before. I think that they did deserve it, but the focus, the conceit the idea was strictly male even though uh, Gloria Katz did a wonderful job of writing uh, Laurie and Debbie in their, their various ways and the Steve and, and Laurie things um, that wasn't the first movie and you know uh, it, it's great that they they made it to the second movie and that they got those big important parts it's not great that the structure confined them into something that would be less watchable or less desirable does that make sense like it's not their fault that the movie didn't do well it's more the the movie's fault that the movie didn't do well but in in doing that they made and elevated the characters of Debbie and Lori so just to to clear the air there because I listened back to it and I was like mm, that's mm, that's not quite what I meant but um I, I was on uh, a combined three hours of sleep for the last 24 hours that was two hours at night and then one hour during the day um and and just to be clear I know that I didn't do this even when I did the stereo thing I just I don't know when the next one's gonna come out I don't I don't know life is really busy I just wanted to get in here and and do the thing and just do it so thanks for listening uh continue on everything else should probably be fine uh. You know, if I sound a little bit down on the state of the world, it's because I am. Just a heads up. So they earn their cards in this movie. Um, and it's it's very clear, uh, you know, I, I thought it was clever that Milner and, and, and Fields' card are identical. But then they add Laurie onto to Steve, which, mm, you know, but it's the whole thing like, oh, they're a couple. But also like she's a person and she can have her own card and uh they dressed her her pursuit of uh i guess feminism and independence with police brutality for some reason and uh you know debbie gets her her self-respect and her self-discovery and she gets her card and it's not a uh, it's not particularly subtle or clever but it's there so this isn't a huge deep dive i uh, i've i've watched two movies um and I was actually very disappointed that I enjoyed neither, 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 neither. I don't know. Can't fight this either, right? Is that, the, is that the lyric? Anyway, I enjoyed neither of them as much as I remembered from the last time I saw them. I wouldn't go out of my way to watch them at all. Unless you have a, a very particular or specific interest in them. However, their soundtracks or, or the soundtrack playlist on, you know, wherever you might find a soundtrack playlist, Uh, those are going to be great. Those are going to be excellent. I know this isn't a show about soundtracks, but, uh, Hey, sometimes it is. And this is one of those times to be fair. Uh, it feels like I don't quite remember how to do this podcast thing. It's been a while, but it feels good to be back in the seat, you know, to be behind the mic or in front of the mic. I don't know. I guess in front, if the front of the mic is the part where you're supposed to speak into, I am facing the microphone. It is facing me. But there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the world. There's some good stuff too. But hey, if, if this podcast can bring one smile to one face in this world, then, then mission accomplished. Be as safe as you can. Take care. Be nice. Okay, trying out a stereo mount. I I don't know how well I mounted uh, these microphones. The angle may not be right, and that might be why this sounds bad. I also just slid the whole thing over. But hey, everybody, I'm outside in this uh, lovely winter day, which actually feels more like a spring day, where I'm at. And hey, some fucking dog is just barking his ass off. Uh, All the birds are trying to fuck, but trying out a, a stereo kind of recording. Like, maybe I'm moving now? Maybe not. I don't know. I'm just trying new things. That's what I do. I try new things. That's how I started this podcast. And, uh, like I said in the original recording, I kind of forgot how to do this. So, uh, housekeeping things. Check the rest of the podcast episodes out at scumbags.com. S-E-U-M-M-B-A-G-S. The reason for that is not because I get hits or anything. I don't even think I have fucking analytics on the site. It is, uh... More so, so that you can, if you want, see the much richer uh, show notes that I make. Assuming that your your podcatcher, your podcast app doesn't show a uh, full length or HTML show notes, because hey, man, uh, sometimes I I just put a lot of a lot of stuff in there. Uh, the other thing is that um, I just wanted to fucking do a stereo setup. I wanted to see what this was like. I wanted to try it. So I came in kind of in a a low, low entry level kind of area. I don't know what it's going to sound like yet, but I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fix it as much as I can. Um, but I'm just really interested to see what this experience might be like. Uh, I didn't spend much money on it at all. And, uh, what I got was like a bracket and uh, a stereo set of, uh, small diaphragm condensers. That's not interesting for everybody, but, uh, for folks that like, uh, uh, Sound recording technology. Uh, it, this is um Yeah, that that's more for you, I guess uh, So I'm doing an XY. I don't want to do an OTRF. I feel like that's usually too wide and then you don't really get the uh, The thing that you're trying to get it doesn't feel up front, so doing an XY uh, you know, maybe eight eight inches away from me and uh, See how it sounds. We'll just try it out. But there's a lot of sound out here. It's it's really rich That's why I wanted it Uh, actually, you know, in retrospect, I probably should have oriented myself differently, but whatever. No big deal. I'm not doing any noise reduction. You're gonna hear all the bullshit. Probably. I might do some noise reduction, because, God, the fucking bass noise level out here is just loud as shit. It is so fucking loud. It is loud as shit. Jesus. Um... And then I think even that wind got in through the little poppy thing. I popped the shit out of this fucking... Yeah, the wind is just fucking these these microphones up. I need to get some dead cats for them. I think. Um, Because it is windy. Great. Real fucking awesome. Thanks, wind. You fucking dick. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do have some little foamies on on these microphones, but... you, You can't get near them. You can't even get fucking close to them. You'll pop them, and they will explode. They will actually... Uh, Ignite. No, they won't. Um, but they're from a good company. It's just, hey, trying new things. Uh, I live to try new things. I live to learn. I think that we all should. And, um, you know, honestly, uh, just getting real personal over the past couple of years, that's been what's kept me going is really that drive and that ability. And I'm, I'm trying a bunch of new things. I'm spending my time in new ways. Uh, I think just like everybody else, I'm now playing uh, Dungeons & Dragons with some friends, and I fucking love it. I DM'd a session, and it was great. I suck, but it was great. It was super fun. I had a blast. And that's really what matters in Dungeons & Dragons, that I have fun. Uh, sarcasm. But, uh yeah, so, you know, if you want to uh, try a new thing, if you want to try role-playing uh, games, fucking try it. You want to try a board game? Fucking try it. You want to make up a card game? Hey, just make up a card game. Like, do whatever. Okay? Don't, um don't don't stand on ceremony and wait for somebody to bring you in you know put that out there in the world and try it out and and I don't know i just I feel a lot better for having that attitude and I, I think you may too again stay safe uh, I really liked the period of time where when I put like uh, really hopeful messages at the end of these that it was for a specific situation but it seems like it's just always been. A specific situation for the past two years so just just be nice that's it uh yeah there's bad shit happening yeah i'm i'm sad or mad about it but yeah it's exhausting and uh i i really don't want to be calling them out every time be nice